Hey, good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us here today at Bible Baptist Church Online. We are so glad that we were able to do this, and it's a wonderful opportunity for us, and I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope it's a help to you. Uh, Today, uh, Bible Baptist Church is going to meet out at 320 Highbury Avenue, and uh, we've got a big tent set up there, and we are prepared to have outdoor services. We're going to be there at 11 o'clock, so as you're watching this, and uh, we're just so excited that we have that opportunity as well to have the whole church together and that's just something special. Um, if you're new here today watching with us, then uh, we would love to connect with you. There's a, there'll be a link in the description, and you'll be able to click on that. Just fill out a connect card, a few short questions, and you'll be able to uh, just connect with us. If you have any uh, questions for us or concerns or comments, go ahead and fill that out as well. And uh, that goes right to us. We'll be able to see that and uh, then be able to take care of those things for you and uh, help you in any way possible. So again, I just want to thank you so much for being here, and we appreciate this. We're going to jump right into the message this morning, and so I hope you would take your Bibles with me and turn, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We have been talking about invested, and uh, it's, it's going to be along the same lines, but we're just uh, going to deal with some issues, um, I believe, uh, at, at hand. And so I want to start today's message uh, by telling you up front um, that this will be an extremely controversial subject, which uh, most of us try to avoid controversy, but uh, my hope and my goal in addressing this subject is uh, not to divide. Uh, I know it's controversial. I know it's something that we often uh, try to avoid because it does divide people and everybody has their own opinions, but it's not my job to, or my goal today to divide. It's my goal to unify. And there are so many opinions floating around and there are so many questions and concerns that I believe it's best to address this head on and uh, delve into what the Bible has to say. Um, I will absolutely do my best to keep my thoughts out of it, and as I wrote this, I did my best to do that, uh, while at the same time, I want to make sure that we remain biblical. Uh, if we can all agree that the Bible is our sole authority for faith and practice, then we will be able to come together and unify around the Word of God. I will also ask that you hear me out. This is important. Please hear me out, because this is going to be a series of messages Not just one message, but a series of messages, and I can't deal with everything in one message. I wish I could, but I cannot. Uh, You won't want to be here that long. (laughs) Um, I encourage you, as always, please take notes, and uh, not because I'm going to say something special today, but again, just so that we're unified, so that we all are on the same um, page. I hope it will guide you in in later days. Um, I will also encourage you to write down any questions that you have. And if you do have any questions, we would love uh, to answer those questions. Um, And then at the end of this series, if you still have the same questions, then by all means, send them to us. Let us know. And uh, we we are passionate about people asking questions and trying to answer them to the best of our ability. And so we want you to do that as well. All right, the title of the series is this, The Church's Response to the Government. The Church's Response to the Government. Now, there are all kinds of different ways that we can approach this. Uh, we can approach it all kinds of different, from different angles. But I want to begin with this. The very first lesson is, what is the church? What is the church? Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started into this. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for all you do for us. Father, it is our goal to lift you on high today. It is our goal that you might uh, be glorified. And I pray that in this message that you, Father, will be. 
I pray that you would guide us and direct us. Help us to have soft hearts. Help us to uh, uh, be ones that study your word and know your word. And Father, I pray that you would just help us to understand today and be one and unified under you. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we need to begin, first of all, with what is the church, and we need to understand what the church is. So let's define church. The word church means a called-out assembly together for a particular purpose. A called-out assembly together for a particular purpose. Now, the question is this. We're calling people out. We're assembling for a particular purpose. What is that purpose? Well, there are many in today's society that say the church ought to be promoting the government mandates. Okay, that's what the, many people are saying. Hey, you ought to be promoting and, and backing the government. Okay, the, they um, ought to side with the government on everything. I've had people say that to me. There are others that say that the church ought to do something about the government's overreach of power. Okay, we've, we've all heard those things. Now let me ask you something that's extremely serious. Is, is pushing the government or backing the government, is that the reason that the church is called out? I think if you're honest, you would say no. In, in, our, in our society today, we look at it and we think, well, well, that might be a good thing, but is that the purpose? No, the reason we have been called out, the particular purpose to which we have been called is, number one, to meet together. To meet together. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but we passionately believe that the church ought to physically meet together. We ought to physically meet together. Now, that's going to change. If someone is sick, they stay home. If someone is not doing well, if they're away or they're in the hospital, or I mean, there's all kinds of myriad of different things as to why someone would be away. But listen, as a whole, on a consistent, regular basis, we believe that it is so, so vitally important to meet together. Now, praise the Lord, at, at, at all the way through the pandemic, except for the first several weeks, because we thought that it was going to really hurt a lot of our people. We did not meet physically for, for several weeks. And now, looking back, I'm, I don't think we would change a thing. But the reality is, from that time, we have been able to meet physically the entire time. And it is so important that we do so. There are several reasons. I'll just give you a few. The first one we find here in Hebrews chapter 10, and let's start in verse 23. The Bible says this, Let us hold fast the profession of, of our faith without wavering. Okay, so let us hold fast that profession. We're professing it. We're, 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 we're living it out and, and talking about it without wavering. No wavering here. For he is faithful that promised. Verse 24, here it is. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good work. So the first one that I want you to notice, the reason we need to meet is just provoking. Just provoking. We, we need to be challenging. We need to be uh, um, living our lives in such a way that provoke others, not just not to do bad, but look what the Bible says again, unto love and to good works. 
Okay, so when we meet together, we, are, we ought to be, excuse me, uh, we ought to be provoking one another to do better. We ought to be living our lives in such a way that the, uh, uh, someone else we can encourage to do better. Now, let's continue in verse 25, the second thing. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is, look at, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. So the second one is exhorting, exhorting, talking, uh, preaching. The Bible tells me when I preach that I ought to exhort those people that are here. And that's, again, that's the challenge, that's the building up, the, the, um, the encouragement again. And then we're going to go to the word edifying. So we're not only to provoke, we're to exhort, and not only to exhort, but to edify. This is really that encouragement, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Okay, so now, now we're not only provoking people to do better, we're not only encouraging them to do better, but when they're down and out, we're edifying them, we're building them up, we're helping them do better. Listen, this is what a community is. This is what an assembly, this is what a church does. When we all get together, there ought not to be judgments. There ought not to be scowls. There ought not to be looks of disdain. There ought to be looks of love and sacrifice and coming together and building each other up to the glory of God. But not only that, there's singing. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. When we come together, we sing. And listen, there is nothing better in my mind than corporate singing. It is a special time. We've had opportunities of that. And until you experience it and see what God does in the midst of singing praises to him, it is a wonderful time. But listen, there, there are several more. We could, we could talk about baptism. Baptism is a church-wide thing. Communion, physically meeting as a church together to remember the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, honestly, the list could honestly go on and on. I, we talked about admonishing. We talked about teaching. We talked about all kinds of different things in these few verses. But the reality is this. The church must meet physically. The church must meet physically. Now, the question is this. Well, what is the number that the church makes a church assembly? What is the number that makes a church assembly? And I'm just going to be honest with you this morning. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, I know pastors are supposed to know everything that the Bible has to say. But the reality is I could not find anywhere in the Bible where we find a specific number that, has, that makes up a church assembly. Now, there are a few things that we know. There are a few things that we know. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. Okay, so if there's two or three people gathered in his name, then there is Jesus in the midst. Okay, that's a good clue. We also know that there were 3,000 people added to the church at Pentecost. Okay, so we've got two or three and then we've got 3,000. Okay, there is also, we know this, at the time of Saul's persecuting the church in Acts chapter 8, there were only 12 apostles present in the church at Jerusalem. The Bible says in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 that everybody left except for the apostles. 
So the question is this, can you have a church assembly with 10 people? Here's what I believe. I believe that we can have a church assembly with 10 people, and we've been able to do that. We had to do it 12 or 13 different times to fit everybody in, to get the church together, but you know what? We did it because the church must meet. And again, we believe that you can provoke in a a 10-person group. We believe that you can admonish. We believe that you can teach. We believe that we can sing. We believe that we can do all of these different things, exhort and edify in those groups of 10. So the reality is you have to decide that, whether or not you believe that that's what the Bible teaches. But I'm of the opinion, and strictly my opinion, because the Bible does not give us an exact answer, but we, it does not matter the number. If it's 10 or 200, it does not matter the number as long as we are gathered together to do these things. Number two, I want you to see this, the reason, our purpose. We ought to be, number two, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. If you would, take your Bibles over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says this. Again, this is Paul speaking. He says, but if I tarry long, he says, but that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the, here it is, the house of God. And he describes what the house of God, of God is, which is the church. So the house of God is the church. Now that is not the building. That is the group of people. It is a called out assembly. It is the church, the house of God, the church of the living God, he says. And then he adds this, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. So let's start with pillar. Pillar, the word means to support or hold up. You know that. We have pillars all over the place in our world. Pillars is a support or something that holds up. Now, what is ground? Pillar and ground of the truth. The ground is something that is anchored, something that you anchor to. It is immovable. It is concrete. It is solid. It is the stay. It is the foundation, if you will. Okay, so let's stop there. Okay, the church is supposed to be the anchor of what? Look at the verse again. The pillar and ground of the truth. Okay, so here we go. The the church is to be the anchor of the truth. It is supposed to be also anchored in the truth. It is supposed to be the supporter and defender of the truth. It is supposed to be the the pillar of truth. It is, if you will, supposed to hold up truth. It's supposed to proclaim truth. We know that in Matthew chapter 28 that we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, this begs the question then, what is truth? What is truth? In fact, uh, Pilate, when he was dealing with Jesus around the time of Jesus' crucifixion, Pilate, um, Jesus tells him that he is here for truth. And he is here to uh, have the people that want to follow truth. He is here for truth. And so Pilate then asked the questions, what is truth? And we all ask that question. So if I am supposed to be the church, is supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth, ought I know what I'm supporting? Ought I to know what I am grounded in? The reality is it's the truth. So some of us will think that the government tells us what is truth. Some of us think that what the government tells us is truth. There are other people that I know 
that think what their internet research has shown them is truth. How about this one? What I think is truth. Listen, we have all of these different variables in today's society, in what's going on today, but the reality is every single one of those is wrong. The government may or may not tell us truth, but that's not what we're supposed to be the pillar and ground of. The internet research may or may not tell us truth, but you know what? That's not the truth that we are to be the pillar and ground of. And our thoughts, by all means, deceive our own selves, and they are wicked constantly. The Bible tells us that very clearly. So what is the truth? Well, let's go through several verses. I would just challenge you to write down these references. John chapter 14 and verse 6. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. Listen, listen, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I want you to understand something this morning, that Jesus Christ is truth. Jesus Christ is not truth. He is the truth. He is the truth. John 1.14, the Bible says this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is speaking of, again, Jesus. Word being made flesh. Jesus Christ is true. John 1.17. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by, what is it? Jesus Christ. John 1, 17. I want you to understand this morning, and it's so important, the truth that we are to uphold, the truth that we are grounded in, the truth that is our cornerstone is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And guess what? We are supposed to uphold that, support it, and proclaim it. Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. John 17, 17. The Bible says this. Sanctify them through thy truth. Listen, thy word is truth. So not only is Jesus Christ truth, but the word of God is truth. This is, again, so important. We are supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth. John 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Very simply this morning, I want to make it very clear that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit being the truth and God's word being the truth. It is the pillar and ground of Jesus Christ. It is the pillar and ground of the word of God. It is supposed to, we are supposed to uphold it. We are supposed to be grounded in it. And guess what? When the church is grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ and grounded in the truth of the word of God and a pillar of Jesus Christ and a pillar of the word of God. You want you to understand this. The Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Shall not prevail against it. So let me ask this question. Let me ask this very important question. So is the church supposed to uphold freedoms? Is the church supposed to uphold freedoms? How about this one? Is the church supposed to uphold and promote the government? Is the church supposed to uphold its own rules and opinions? 
Is the church supposed to just drum up a bunch of ideas and opinions and uphold those things? Let me ask this question. Is the church supposed to uphold a man? Is the church supposed to uphold a style? Is the church supposed to uphold a tradition, something that we've done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years? No, listen, the church is to be the pillar and ground of the truth. So traditions, styles, fads, governments, uh, people are going to come and they're going to come go. But listen, the word of God is unchangeable. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he is the truth. The, the word of God is the truth. Listen, the word of God ought to govern everything we do. We ought to be proclaiming the whole counsel of God. We ought to, ought to be actively trying to promote it. Listen, every part of my life, everything that I do, how I drive, how I eat, how I think, how I speak, how I deal with my money, how I work in the church, how I live my life. Listen, all of that comes from the Word of God. The Word of God ought to govern everything we do. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But we ought to actively be trying to promote Jesus and the Word of God, the whole counsel of the Word of God. We're very good at pulling pieces of the Word of God out. We're very good at not looking contextually at things and looking at the whole counsel of God. And listen, this is a series. Please understand me. We're going we're gonna to deal with one thing today, but don't forget, we're going to deal with something next week and something the week after that. We're going to deal with these things. So the church, again, must actively and physically meet. Number two, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Number three, the church is to be, the purpose of the church is to be the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1 in verse 18, the Bible says, and he, being Jesus, is the head of the body. The head of the body. And then it says this, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Okay, so understand, Jesus Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. Okay, the head of the body is Christ. So guess what? We must listen to him in all things. He is our authority. Listen, he is the church's authority. He is my authority. He is your authority. We ought to be listening to him in everything. Guess what? Guess who's not our authority as the church? Not the government. The government is not our authority. Guess who else is not our authority? The members of the church are not our authority. Guess who else is not our authority? The pastor is not the authority of the church. So what is the purpose of the body of Christ? Christ being the head, he is the authority. What is the purpose of the body of Christ? Well, let's look at this verse again. Colossians 1 and verse 18, the Bible says that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's the head of the church that in all things he might have 
the preeminence. The purpose of the body of Christ is, first of all and foremost, to give Christ preeminence. To give all glory and honor to God. That's the purpose. To give preeminence. If we, as the body of Christ, that is our goal. To give God the glory. So let's get extremely personal. Extremely personal here. And I want to be, again, very honest with you this morning. Absolutely everything that I'm about to say in the next several minutes, God has convicted me personally about. So this is not a message to conform everybody to my way of thinking. No, this is a message that God has worked on me about from the truth of his word. Okay? So let's ask this question. We are the body of Christ. Now let me ask you this. What did the physical body of Christ do on this earth? We understand that, that at Christmas time, Jesus came to this earth and was born to humans as a human. He was as much God, but he was in human form. He took on the body of a man. And for 33 and a half years, he lived on this earth. So let me ask the question again. What did the physical body of Christ do on this earth? Well, I think if we're honest and I think we have any biblical knowledge whatsoever, we would understand that in everything that Jesus Christ did, the physical body of Christ, in everything that he did, he gave the preeminence to God. Everything. I must be about my father's business. Uh, um, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. He gave the preeminence to God in all things. Get this. He glorified his father in all things. How did he do this? How did he do this? Well, first of all, I want you to understand he did this by not fighting the government. I know, that's hard to hear. <laughs> but he did this by not fighting the government. Let me ask you this question. Who was in power when Jesus Christ came to this earth? What did people expect Jesus to do about those who were in power? What did the people expect Jesus to do about it? I want you to understand, again, we could spend a lot of time looking at this, but I want you to understand that the people who knew Jesus expected him to come in and rid the Jewish people of the Roman Empire. They wanted rid of him. In fact, many times they asked him, is this the time that you're going to set up your kingdom? Are you going to set up your physical earthly kingdom now? Now let me ask this question. You know the story, hopefully. Did Jesus defy the government? Nowhere that I can find. He did not defy the government. So let's go ahead and take a look. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verse 11. Luke chapter 19 and verse 11. Watch this. Verse 11, the Bible says... And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem. Listen, watch this now. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So there's these people all around him. There's these people that think that Jesus is going to immediately make the kingdom of God appear on this earth. They thought he was the Messiah. 
Well, we skipped a portion, jumped up to verse 10. This is the reason Jesus came. Verse 10, the Bible says this, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. So he did not come to fight the government. He did not come to establish his own kingdom. Listen, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what the physical body of Jesus Christ did. Even after Jesus had died, and even after he had risen again and he had spent 40 days on the earth, he's with his disciples. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven And his disciples are still asking him, are you going to set up your earthly kingdom now? Let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. The Bible says this. When they were therefore come together, they asked him of, excuse me, they asked of him saying, Lord, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? We're still under Roman rule. Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel again? Look what he says in verse 7. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Look at verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Watch that. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, the pillar and ground of the truth, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You see, Jesus is not concerned right now with government. The body of the physical body of Jesus Christ is not concerned with the government. He is concerned with people being sought and saved and brought under his shed blood and knowing Jesus Christ as their personal savior. So he did not fight the government. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Number two, I want you to see, he gave and glorified God and gave God the preeminence. Number two, by setting aside his rights. By setting aside his rights. Instead of fighting the government, instead of fighting for his rights as the, get this, son of God, guess what Jesus did? He literally gave up every right he had. The Bible says that he left the throne of heaven and came to this earth and lived as a man. In all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So he left everything, the rights he had, the the riches he had, all of those things, the power he had. He used power on this earth, but listen, he has far more power than just healing a blind man. Listen, Jesus Christ came to this earth and left his rights in heaven. You see, there is one point. On the cross where Jesus could have called 10,000 angels to save him. Guess what? He had the right to do so. But he didn't. He didn't. Jesus Christ, instead of calling 10,000 angels on his cross, he just hung there in love. He laid down his life. Listen. 
I absolutely love living in a free society. I absolutely enjoy the joy and splendor of doing as we please. We have such great freedom here in Canada and even in the United States. What a great freedom. Listen, we have this great freedom. But this has done nothing, in my opinion, this is purely my opinion, this has done nothing but make us lazy. If you will, it has distracted us from pleasing the Father. There are so many people that are so concerned with their rights, so concerned with their freedoms, that they forget about pleasing the Father. I want you to understand, we, I, I live here in St. Thomas. There are people all over this city who do not know the presence and the power of God. They have no idea who God is. They have no idea what God can do for them. They have no idea what Jesus Christ has done. And all we are concerned with is our rights. Let's go the same for the next point. The next point is that Jesus glorified God by putting his health in jeopardy. Jesus had no concern for his physical well-being. He touched lepers. He communed with sinners. He focused on pointing them to God. Listen, do you know that if you touched leprosy, you contracted leprosy? He touched them. He communed with sinners. People that were dirty, down and out. He communed with them. He didn't care about what people thought about him. He didn't care about his own physical well-being. He pointed them to God. And when it came down to it, he literally gave man his body. Literally gave it to them. He could have fought. He could have wrecked everything. He could have destroyed them as they came to get him. Yet he went with them willingly. He gave them his body. And guess what they did with it? They destroyed it. They destroyed Jesus Christ. He again laid down his life. Listen to me. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I love my health. I love that I can run. I love that I can walk. I love that my heart beats normally. I love that I can breathe air. I love that the, my body is not eating itself with cancer. I, I love that. Listen, I have wonderful health and I'm so thankful for it. But hear me, at what point, at what point am I willing to give up my health and my safety for the benefit of someone else's eternal life. At what point am I willing to give up my health and my safety for the benefit of someone's eternal life? Listen, have we become so calloused? Have we become so calloused in our hearts that we don't care about anyone else anymore? We don't, we don't see the need of people we become shut up in our homes. And listen, I understand that there's a virus out there. Please hear me. I understand that. And I'm not asking you to cast your life to swine. I'm saying, listen, there are times when we have to get outside of our comfort zone, get outside of our safety net, sacrifice a little bit and say, 
Someone else's eternal life is more important. Sometimes we only care about ourselves, what we want. Listen to me. There is something far, far more important than our rights and our health. There's something far more important than our rights and our health. No doubt. No doubt you'll be asking, but Pastor Yeomans, what if the government crosses the line? What is that line? Listen, we will most certainly get there in the next couple of weeks. But I want you to understand the focus of the church is that we are the body of Christ. We are the pillar and ground of the truth. We are God's body. And God gave up his rights and put his life in jeopardy. And so we must first establish the church. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We have been bought with the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we must, can we not, lay down our lives as a living sacrifice for him. I want you to take your Bibles with me and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. This is so important. Bible says this, speaking to Timothy, Paul's writing, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, no man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life. Why? that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Paul, writing to Timothy, encourages him, stand, stand firm, endure hardness as a soldier of Jesus Christ. But not only that, he says, don't get entangled. Don't get entangled in the affairs of this life. Don't get wrapped up in the temporal if anything, get wrapped up in the eternal. Don't get wrapped up in what's going on in this world. Don't get wrapped up in what the government conspiracy is. Don't get wrapped up in a virus taking over our land. Don't get wrapped up in, in what's going on in today's society. Folks, please hear me. Get wrapped up in what's going on in eternity. There are people living this life that are, are scared of the virus. They have no hope of eternity. We have that hope. We're the pillar and ground of that hope. There's a story of a man in the Bible whom Jesus said and told him that when he tried to get wrapped up in everything that was going on at the time, Jesus dealt specifically with him. I want to take you there. I want, I want you to see this. This is huge. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. In verse 20. The Bible says this. 
Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Watch this. Here's the man. Then Peter... Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord. This shall not be unto thee. I want you just to stop there. Just stop there. Jesus Christ is, has, been, has been here for 33 and a half years. He's coming down to the place, the time in which he is going to die for our sins, for the sins of the entire world. And there's Peter saying, no way, man. You are not going to go through this. I won't let it happen. I'm going to stand in the way. I'm going to protect you. We see that in the Garden of of Gethsemane, he does just that. He tries, he cuts off Malchus's ear. But look at verse 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Watch this. Thou savorest not the things that be of God but those that be of men. Those that be of men. I might be living in a dream world. But I want you to understand this. My life is not about my life. My life is not contained in my sphere. It is not contained in who I am. Listen to me. It is about God's eternal plan. It's not about me. It's not about my life. It's about God's eternal plan. Peter was thinking only about now. And he was frustrated. He was on a fence. He was as if Satan was stepping in the way. There's an old song There's an old song called The Banner of the Cross. I just want to read the first verse in the chorus to you. Listen. There's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the king. As an ensign fair, we lift it up today while the ransomed ones we sing marching on. Marching on for Christ. Count everything but loss. And to crown him king will toil and sing neath the banner of the cross. Listen to me. We have way too many people in our church and in our society flying under the flag of maskers or Anti-maskers. Pro-vaxxer or anti-vaxxer. Pro-government, anti-government. Pro-lockdown, anti-lockdown. Please understand me. These are the wrong colors to have flying over your head. This is not the banner that we fight for. 
This is not the pillar and ground that we ought to be. This is not the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ. The truth is eternity. Again, you might say, well, what if the government, what if, when does the line cross? Or, or what if somebody's not doing the right thing? What if somebody's not loving their neighbor as themselves? Listen to me, we'll get there. But as the church, you're the pillar and ground of the truth. Have we ever, ever considered in our life that there is an actual way to make change? There are so many people, there's a website now called change.org. And a bunch bunch of people get on there and sign petitions and petition this and petition that and, and, and get on social media and run somebody up one side and down the other. And proclaim our opinion. Listen, that's not me. I understand that. I'm not against social media. But I I don't know what we're trying to do on social media. There is a real way to make change. And guess what? It's not. It's not signing a petition. It's not posting on social media. It is not getting together with our echo chamber and bolstering our view. And hope that we can convince enough people. Listen to me. The best way to make real change is to be the church. To be the church. To uphold the truth of the word of God. To proclaim his name. If we posted half as much about God and his goodness and his grace and his love his mercy and his holiness. If we posted half as much as we do about our opinion, about what's going on in the world, lives would be changed. People would be saved. I think it's time to be the church. So let's meet together. Today we're out meeting together under a tent our property on Highbury. And we are so excited about that. But let us not just meet together. Let us not stray from the truth. Let us be the pillar and the ground of the truth. Let us hold the light of Jesus Christ on high. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But let us forsake our rights. Let us forsake our freedoms And let us make eternity more important than what's going on on this earth. Listen to me. The church, the living God, is the pillar and ground of the truth. It is to meet together. It is the body of Christ. Listen, you may be listening today and you you don't even know who God is. You don't even know what Jesus Christ has done for you. I'm talking about this person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't even know who he is. Listen, I want you to understand this morning that we are holding up Jesus Christ and we are being a light of Jesus Christ because Jesus came to this earth for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to save us from our sins, to seek and to save that which is lost. You understand that we are all sinners. The Bible tells us we are all sinners. We all deserve, because of the sin, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die and go to a place called hell. 
So we all deserve that because we've all sinned. Lying is a sin. We've all sinned. The Bible is very clear about that. But there is good news. That's the bad news. The bad news is we, we are dead in our sin, but the good news is Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, came to this earth, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then was placed on a cross. We just celebrated that last week at Easter. The Bible says that every sin of the entire world was placed upon Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin. Your sin. My sin was placed upon him. Every sin that I would ever commit. Every sin that you would ever commit. Every sin that the entire world would ever commit. For God so loved the world. That he gave. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him. Should not perish. But have everlasting life. Listen God wants to keep you from dying and going to hell he wants to give you everlasting life and he's done that through the free gift for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord listen if you don't know jesus christ as your personal savior today it is the most important decision you'll ever make the most important decision to where you will spend eternity we can make decisions on this earth, whether to buy a home or to get married or to have children. Those are important decisions. But where will you spend eternity? Jesus Christ is the only way. There's no other way. And so it is him whom we celebrate. It is him to whom we look. And so I want you to come to know him. Listen, if you're watching online this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ and you want to know more, Again, there's, there's a comment section. There's a link in the description to where you can connect. Fill that out. Let us know. We would love to help you. For the rest, this is the church. This is who we ought to be. The pillar and ground of the truth. The, the body of Christ meeting together for the purpose of these two things. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all you do for us. Father, we love you. We want to serve you in every way that we can. Father, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Father, if there's one that hears this and does not know you as personal Savior, Father, the church is important. But without you, without you dying on the cross, we do not have a church. We do not have salvation. We do not have an eternal hope. And so, Father, I pray that somebody would know you as personal Savior today. And Father, for the rest of us, oh, Father, please help us to be a called out assembly for the purpose, for the purpose of being the pillar and ground of your word and pillar and ground of you and for being your body. Convict us. Help us to be what we ought to be. Father, we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you so much for being here this morning. I hope this was a help to you. I hope it was an encouragement to you. And I hope that you'll stay with us for the next couple of weeks. I have no idea how long this series is going to go. I know this is one portion of it. But listen, this is important. We need to establish the focus. We'll talk about the rest later. Thank you so much for being here today at Bible Baptist Online. 
I hope it was an encouragement to you. And we will see you hopefully again next week.